Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. If you could not tell, I was screaming my lungs out at that Ravens-Raiders game last night. We were recording this on Tuesday night of week one. EJ and I were both in Vegas last night for that just insane Monday night opener for the season. Uh, I, I won $2,500 on a five-game parlay, and I needed the Raiders to hit. By God, did they hit for me. Paid for my entire weekend, so I was amped. EJ was there with me every step of the way, just losing our minds with each uh, just <laughs> more improbable play after the next. An incredible week one of football that just happened, uh, You know, not just in the books, but on TVs and, and in stadiums. I'm I'm just jacked, EJ. Football is back, and and my God, is it back with a vengeance! Such a great kickoff weekend. We got to spend it in Vegas. We got to watch all the college games on the Vegas sports books on Saturday. Got to attend some events for those. Sunday we sat in Caesar's Sportsbook all day. Watched all the NFL games. Uh, got to go out to a great dinner. Then Monday came, we were really focused on the Monday night game, opened up to Death Star with full fans, and then that game happened. Like, the event itself, the day itself, the build-up itself would have been plenty. And through the first half, meh, looks like this might be a pretty average NFL game, but the fans are great, the stadium's great, and then, woof. But we'll talk plenty about that later in the show, but such a fantastic first weekend of NFL football uh, second or third weekend, depending on how you're counting on college football. It it was just, it was an overload, and it was great to be able to be in Vegas with you and your wife and, and just enjoy the hell out of all of it. So um, I don't know how we're going to top that, but uh, we're going to try. We'll talk about <laughs> We'll talk about our plans for next week uh, at the end of the show. But uh, uh, what did I bring on to celebrate? Uh, I This is fun for me. Um, so Deschutes Brewing, you're familiar with Deschutes Brewing. Uh, they, they decided to have some fun with their name and make, uh, the Deschutes American Pilsner wildly refreshing, but they spelled it Deschutes. <laughs> so I haven't had it, uh, but it's fun. And it was such a fun first week. I thought it was an appropriate beer. So, uh, and I have a shot 
um, and it's really just to celebrate the Raiders. I had to have something black, so I brought on Jameson Black Barrel. I had a choice between this and Kinsale Black Barrel, but that's going to be my shot of the week. What do you have? Uh, well, speaking of uh, your people's water, I brought some Jameson as well. I got the stout edition, so it's Jameson, but it's it's finished in uh, used stout barrels. Um, and it's just, it's it doesn't overwhelm you. You know, with that stout kind of flavor, uh, if people are not into stouts, which I know is kind of an acquired taste among even beer aficionados, not everybody loves stout, but you fuse those subtle notes with uh, just that kind of, you know, buttery, soft, pleasant Jameson Irish whiskey. Uh, and it just goes together wonderfully, more better than I thought when I first bought the bottle, yeah. to be honest. And then my shot for our bootleg shot of the week. Uh, it's, uh, one of your recommendations, Terramana, you know, one of the tequilas that we've gone to, uh, time and time again for the return of shot of the week. Now that we're back in the regular season. Um, but before we get into talking about these games, uh, we do need to, uh, to say a little thank you to the audience. EJ, I want you to take it away. Yeah, we, we reached another milestone. It wasn't just the kickoff of, of football season, uh, proper when we were in Vegas while we were there in perfect timing, as the banner said, YouTube, bootleg football, 1 million lifetime total views. And that is a not insignificant number to us, uh, for you, from you. In a year and a half, we've grown an incredibly passionate fan base out of fans just like you. And we don't take that for granted in the slightest. And you all propelled us to this milestone. We we might click on our videos now and again, but we haven't done it a million times. That's all you. And we couldn't be more grateful, more thankful, uh, more fired up to bring you more content by that. That's just a tremendous affirmation that you are picking up what we are putting down and all the rabid support you throw our way, we are incredibly thankful for. So we didn't want to just pass by 1 million views and say, yeah, it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. Thank you so much. Not a lot of uh, channels on YouTube get to that. And, you know, I, I know that when you look at like the Mr. Beast of the world, you know, they'll get a million views in like an hour, but it, it's still a, it's like a, a one to three percent thing for YouTube channels to even get to a million in the first place. So it's 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 not lost on us how special that is. We could not do this without any of you, you know, watching in what is like two hundred countries that we're in now. It's just insane um, how well this has grown, and and we could not be more thankful. So, uh, cheers to everybody watching and listening at home. Uh, you guys make this possible. And uh, with that, we're going to get into a little bit of a new format this year from week to week. We're calling it the Rule of Three, which uh, it's going to help us kind of spread our focus around the league uh, a little bit more and, um, you know, highlight some things that maybe we didn't get to highlight before. We're not going to be talking about every single game (laughs) from week to week like we did last year because, quite frankly, we want to get these out earlier uh, and be a little bit more relevant, not you know, not recapping one week like the Saturday morning before the next week. We want to be able to get these out by Wednesday. So uh, we're calling it the rule of three, which is going to be three up, three down, and three interesting. That's going to be recapping three up, which is three games that we just loved watching. Luckily, we got to watch all of them because we 
we're in the sports book and you know we're watching them back at night and everything like that so we're gonna th- our three favorite games to watch three down which is teams players or coaches that um, to put it mildly had a rough go of it in week one there were plenty to pick from and three interesting it's teams players or coaches that had uh, interesting notable weeks to kind of keep track of going forward and and seeing what they do the rest of the year so again a little bit of a new format but we're still going to be talking um everything that that we feel is is absolutely worth highlighting every single week and uh getting these shows out to you a little bit earlier so that you can listen to them before the next week of football games actually happen uh with that being said our first three up for the week is going to be that Ravens and Raiders game that we were just at, and we're bringing on a very special guest to help us talk through it, and that is going to be Ted Nguyen, who covers the Raiders for The Athletic, a great friend of ours, and uh, one of the best football minds to talk about this game that we could possibly bring on. So with that, let's roll the interview with Ted. So welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are going through the Ravens-Raiders game, and we have an incredibly special guest, the Athletics NFL staff writer, Ted Nguyen. Ted is a former football coach, one of the top NFL researchers out there, definitely one of the best X's and O's follows on X's and O's Twitter or NFL Twitter in general. So if you're not following him, we'll tell you how to do that at the end of this. But he covers the Raiders for the Athletic as well. That's where he got his start. And he was at the game with us last night. He was up in the booth. Uh, We were about 20 feet below him, strangely enough. Um, Couldn't be happier to have him as our guest on Bootleg Football. We've wanted to make this happen for a while, and it's the perfect opportunity. Ted, how you doing? Doing well. It's good to meet you guys, get dinner. And, um, you know, oddly enough, I ended up sitting right on top of you guys. And I, I got your message, and I was trying to look at, you know, Try to crank my neck back down there. I almost fell off the um, fell off the press box looking for you guys, but uh, it, it was it was an awesome experience. You know, seeing fans in the, in the stadium. I was there last year when there was no fans. It was just eerie, and it was just an electric environment. And what a, what a game to st- you know kick off uh, the Raiders being in Vegas. Yeah, unbelievable. We were we were directly underneath you. So if you'd like dropped a pretzel out of the press box, it probably would have hit us on the head. But <laughs> no. the sour patches down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was incredible. The atmosphere was ridiculous. Even the folks watching at home, I think, probably felt the energy of that building. It was volcanic when a big play happened. Just so much noise, so much energy. I don't know about you guys. I missed that tremendously. I didn't even realize how much I missed that until last night, but crazy game. Let's get to it. What are your top takeaways for the Raiders offensively coming out of this wild game? Yeah, I, I think offensively the, the big question mark was how the new additions to the offensive line was going to handle the Ravens um, pressure schemes. And it's one of the most complex pressure schemes in the league and asking a, a brand new center who hasn't, has barely any experience ever playing center. I think he has only like a 10, 17 snaps or something like that playing center NFL. He's going to vert a tackle. And then he has to, you know, make protection calls against this sort of scheme. Um, you know, you get rid of a guy like Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson. Um, and then you also have the rookie right tackle, Alex Leatherwood. Um, so, you know, I, I think there were some, there were a few times where it just looked bad and they just let guys run in free. But I thought for the most part, in the circumstances they were in, um, they, they, they performed pretty okay. And, you know, I, Derek Carr was very uh, volatile in the beginning, uh, very inaccurate. You know, there was um, you know, there's a lot of criticism you can make of Derek Carr, but he's not an inaccurate quarterback. And 
in the beginning of that game, he was just missing wide open guys. And then later on, he settled in and he uh, he made a lot of clutch passes uh, towards the end and, you know, made, led that unbelievable two minute drive with 30 seconds left to um, set him up for that 55 yard field goal. And obviously uh, was extremely accurate in overtime, um, you know, having to win the game basically two twice in, in, in overtime. <laughs> Um, but I like what Gruden was doing a lot. He was going in empty a lot, and I think that was just to get guys outside of the box to make the blitzes a little easier to see. Um, and it, the the game plan worked out. You know, they didn't really want to run the ball against the Ravens. Um, they, they their running game were the, the short passes, and I think in the beginning it looked a little messy, especially with all those Darren Waller targets. But at, you know, as the game wore on, he saw what Gruden was thinking. And it, it was a solid game plan, and it worked out. I, I would say uh, my big takeaway offensively is if this offense did not have Darren Waller, I don't know what they would do because it seemed like every single time there was a big play that needed to be made. Like I even saw like they, they went quads to the field in empty and then had Waller isolated backside just to absolutely make sure that he was one-on-one because they knew they were going to throw to him. Every time they needed yards, they went to Darren Waller and then, you know, Josh Jacobs was kind of sprinkled in there here, here and there. But um, he is, I don't even think it's arguable. He's the best player on the team. John Gruden said he's the best player he's ever coached, which is high praise considering John Gruden has coached, several hall of famers or at least guys that you know some should be hall of famers how do you feel that darren waller changes this offense and where do you feel that they would be if he was not on the field well he you know against the ravens who play a ton of man to man there's just nobody that could take darren waller one-on-one there's very very few players maybe three or four players that could take darren waller one-on-one and I, and I agree with you. Is they don't he, Darren Waller's their number one receiver. Uh, the outside receivers are more complimentary guys. Uh, they aren't guys that really is going to threaten a defense and, and demand double teams. And Gruden does a good job of funneling this this offense through uh, Waller. And they they kind of lost that identity of being this smash mouth run team uh, by losing you know the the offensive lineman that they that they did lose. Um, so without that, um, that, re- that ability to rely on a run game, Darren Waller is his offense. Like you said, um, you know, Derek Carr did a good job too, but you know, there's just not a, a lot of guys they could trust on third down to get open, um, you know, create a play, get, make a play except for Darren Waller. Yeah. He was there everything. And eh, I turned to Brett at one point in the game. I said, can you imagine this offense without Darren Waller? And we both just kind of went. That what what is it that there's a lot of teams that don't have an offensive identity and I think you you nailed it when you said their their offensive identity right now is Darren Waller. So let's switch to the other side of the ball. Uh, I saw a lot more energy on defense uh, in this opening game than I think I saw last year. What were your top defensive takeaways from the game last night? Yeah, I've been watching the Raiders defense for a long time. It's been pretty bad. So the, the bar for a great Raider defensive <laughs> performance is not very high. And, um, you know, I thought they were very organized. Uh, and that's something that I could not could not have said about a Raider defense for a long time. Even when they had good defensive performances, there were 
times where they would blow a coverage and then get lucky with, uh, you know, like a tip pass or a, a strip after a 30-yard gain or something like that. But I, I thought for the most part, they were really organized. They were in a position they needed to be. And when the Ravens gashed them, it took uh, amazing Lamar Jackson all-world play in order to gash them. And sometimes you just can't do anything about that. Uh, so I thought the coverage was really solid. Um, I didn't see any blown coverages. They, I thought they tackled well for the most part. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, one-on-one tackle Lamar Jackson every play. But I, I thought for the most part, they tackled pretty well. Um, and obviously the pass rush looks like it, it's um, much better than it, it has been in year past. Max Crosby looked like he's, he's taken a next step as a pass rusher. And Gakwe, you know, added some size. And you can see he it really made a difference for, uh, for him. Yeah, those two Ravens tackles gave up 19 pressures between them. Villanueva gave up 10. Ronnie Stanley gave up 9, which is three more than he gave up all of last year before he got hurt. So uh, not just Crosby, but Yannick, both of them were, were such huge threats off the edge. Uh, the linebackers were, were tackling in space. John Abram made a couple just bone-shattering hits. It, it kind of, you know, there was some, some theories in the offseason that you know, simplifying, quote unquote, uh, this scheme and just kind of helping dudes play fast and not, you know, not have to think so much every time they see motion of like, okay, well, this turns into that and that turns into this and, you know, just constant checks and checks and checks and everything like that. The, the, the kind of the, the simplifying nature of Gus Bradley's system would help them play faster and play more mistake free. Do you feel like, oddly enough, Gus Bradley was kind of the missing piece to the Raiders having a competent defense. Yeah. You know, I, I've been critical of that Seattle cover three system for, for a while now. And um, you know, when Gus Bradley was hired, I had my, I, you know, I knew he was a good defensive coach. I just didn't know what the ceiling for the Raiders defense would be, especially because the pass rush has been so bad. And as we've seen in the past, when those Seattle cover three guys don't have a strong four man pass rush, that system doesn't work. So I just had my doubts about how much better the Raiders could get in one season and, you know, how that would affect Bradley running so much cover three. Pass rush didn't live up to uh, – didn't, didn't wasn't upgraded. So I, I think the pass rush looked a lot better um, against the Ravens, obviously. We talked about it. Uh, Lamar Jackson was under pressure, I think, 54% of uh, dropbacks, which is ridiculous. Uh, and, and guys look like they're organized. They look like they knew where they're supposed to be, and they look like they're playing fast. And um, you know, and you know, after Bradley was hired, when I went back and looked at his defense, he, he put together some good game plans. You know, like he he knows what offense to do, and he knows how to give him trouble doing. You know, getting into that bread and butter, bread and butter. And um, you know, you saw that in particularly with the Chiefs. Uh, famously, he stopped Lamar Jackson in that wildcard playoff game, but he was a much different quarterback back then. Um, so I, I think Bradley is a quality defensive coordinator, and you, you really saw um, the impact that he made uh, in, in game one because I just haven't seen a Raider unit play that organized and that well as a team in, in a long time. Yeah, I like the point you made about scheme on both sides of the ball. When we were talking about offense, you said Gruden, you know, chose to go empty a lot and that set his guys up again to be able to play a little bit faster to see the blitz a little bit easier and Gus Bradley did the same thing on his side of the ball he made sure his guys could play fast that they were coming downhill that 
you know, he put it on them to tackle. I'll put you in the right spot. You make the tackles. And they did. And when you see coaches supporting their players with scheme like that, I think that's probably one of the highlights for Raiders fans looking forward to the rest of the season for this team is a coaching staff that understands and players who have bought in. That's a very powerful marriage. So seeing it on both sides of the ball is probably one of the biggest takeaways from that game. You talked a little bit about the Ravens. Do you have any thoughts about the Ravens moving forward for the rest of this season? Yeah, I think they just have dealt with a ton of injuries. Um, you know, we, we all know about the running back injuries. We know about Marcus Peters. Jimmy Smith was a kind of a um, prize uh, injury that, you know, ended up I – th- I think when you play as much man-to-man defense as the Ravens do and you're built the way they are built – uh, which is, you know, they're, they're going to spend on high, uh, high price back a cover man, and they're going to blitz you and save money on pass rushers. Uh, you have to have those high price defensive backs out there. And, and, you know, they have some depth, but, you know, obviously um, not having those t- two, those top two guys out there is, is going to hurt them. Um, and one thing that people didn't really talk about much coming into the season was the fact that, the Ravens starting off at the blind didn't have much practice time together at all in the off season. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I thought the, Ra- the Raiders had a better chance to win than uh, people were giving them. And that ended up coming to fr- fruition. The, that Ravens offensive line just does not look like a unit that we've seen in the, the past couple of years that could just maul, maul a, um, a defensive front and, you know, protect uh, Lamar Jackson. So the, those were two, uh, two big factors. And, you know, I, and I, I don't know if the Ravens can get healthy or they have the ability to um, build or develop guys fast enough to kind of savage this season. Um, we'll see. I mean, John Harbaugh has been a really good coach, and the Ravens have been uh, consistently one of the best teams in the NFL, uh, but they have a lot to overcome um, this season. Well, speaking of injuries, you know, one last question here, then we'll let you go, because I think all of us are on three and a half or less hours of sleep at this point. Um, the, the Raiders suffered quite a few injuries this game themselves. Denzel Goods out for the year with a torn ACL. Um, there's been reports that Yannick Ngakwe, Marcus Mariota, and Gerald McCoy all potentially could have injuries that, that will make them miss significant time. They're hoping that Yannick's is is going to be better than they fear. You know, Marcus seemed to be a re-injury of a quad strain, and then Gerald McCoy had a knee. How are you even remotely concerned about specifically the defensive line and the offensive line already getting thinned out by injuries, or do you feel like their depth might be able to hold up at least till you know, some of these guys get back? Now, they're definitely uh, concerning injuries, especially in Gakwe, because, I mean, you just saw the impact that Ngakwe is able to make and how much better he makes uh, at Max Crosby. But I think, you know, of, of all those guys, Ngakwe probably has the least severe injury as far as as far as far how it looks. I think it's a hamstring injury, which can be nagging, but I don't think it's season-ending. Uh, so hopefully he could come back in a week or two, um, maybe this week. You know, you, you just never know with those hamstrings. Um, Denzel Good is a particularly concerning injury because the Raiders uh, don't have a ton of guard depth. Not a lot of teams around NFL do. Uh, but they were, they were already missing uh, Richie Incognito uh, coming into the game. There's some optimism that Incognito would be able to play, and then you could kick John Simpson over to right guard where he has 
some experience playing. Um, so, you know, but the thing is, you know, what you, ha- you have those two guys out there, those out there, there's just not much depth behind them. And Incognito's 38 years old. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely a scary situation with the Raiders offensive line right now. Uh, but luckily Tom Cable has been, you know, one of the better offensive line coaches, I think, um, in, in the league in the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, that they, they're going to have to trust him to develop some depth, uh, be, behind those guys, but, uh, they, they just can't afford to lose another, uh, offensive lineman, uh, right now. Um, and as far as Marcus Mariota, um, he he re-injured his calf on that big run on third and one, um, that option run on third and one, and on the first drive of the game. And Gruden said they lost a big part of their offense when they did that, which means um, that they were planning to use Mariota a lot in short yardage, which is what something that I've been pushing for for you know ever since Marcus Modi, Mariota signed with the Raiders, um, and that's just that's one of the weaknesses the Raiders have had. One of the weaknesses Gruden has had is uh, short yardage play calling, and we saw that um, in the Ravens game where they couldn't convert, you know, a couple third and ones, fourth and ones, where Mariota's athleticism and ability to run the option even out the numbers would have been real advantageous. So um, losing him is not, you know, is I don't think it's a is it's not going to like greatly greatly affect the, the offense, but it just you lose that dynamic edge uh, by not having Mariota to run that Mariota package like they were planning to do. Yeah. It takes a wrinkle out, which means a little less prep for opposing defenses. And it, how weird is it that, uh, you know, the team that plays in San Francisco and the team that used to play at near San Francisco, really thinking about using dynamic two quarterback systems in 2021, but won't get to see as much of it from the Raiders. It sounds like until he heals up, it's a calf, but uh, yeah, fantastic game overall. Can't thank you enough for taking some time out, especially on no sleep. Uh, again, we're all running on fumes, but uh, we've been wanting to have you on for a long time. Really glad we made it happen, and we'll do it again soon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, and it was great meeting you guys. All right, we want to thank Ted for joining us. Um, again, he's one of the best in the business, especially if you're a Raiders fan. You have to go follow Ted's work. He does phenomenal X's and O's content, really knows his stuff. Um, you know, he's, he's taught us a lot about football and especially taught us a lot about the Raiders and, and how they do things over in Vegas and, you know, formerly the Bay, he lives over in East Bay, flies out to Vegas for every single game. The dude's a warrior, uh, did that, did that interview on basically no sleep, sleep. <laughs> which, uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember if I said it in the interview or not, cause we recorded that before we did the rest. Um, like I'm going on like an hour and a half right now ej's going on like three hours like it's <laughs> busy weekend. we're on fumes we're on fumes but by the way if you if you're listening to this you ever get a chance to go to a game in vegas oh, go to a game in vegas that stadium is insane like it's it's the best game day experience i've ever had in my life like you got ice cube performing at halftime gladys knight is doing the national anthem. Steve Aoki's playing sets like during commercial breaks. You see the the strip through the window in the background. It's nuts. Like there's no stadium like that in the entire world. You you literally walk from your hotel in the strip to the stadium across the bridge, and it's just it's a party the entire time. It, it's unreal. The uh, sight I, lines are great. <laughs> Like, oh my God! They're literally, so good. we were like we were joking about it in the interview with Ted that we were literally sitting 
pretty much directly under him. If I craned my neck directly back, I was looking at the TVs that hang in front of the, the press box windows. So we were way up there. We were in the rafters. Beautiful view of the game. Like, no obstructions. You felt like you were right on top of it. It was almost like your own personal All-22. Um, just a gorgeous stadium. And some of the views, I put this on Twitter some of the views from inside the stadium to outside are really good. A lot of times it's those views inside the stadium and whatever else. Some of the window panoramas, not only to the strip, but looking out at the mountains with sunset. Just some stunning views in that stadium any way you look. Uh, just a gorgeous facility. Of course, Vegas is always a good time. So put it on your list. If, if you're an NFL fan and your team's going to play in Vegas, make it happen. Yeah, you you have to get out there. It's a, it's it's a. It, I'm not gonna say it's like a once in a lifetime thing because technically it can be an eight times a year type thing if you <laughs> if you're really dedicated enough. Um, but it's it's the best it's the best stadium experience I've ever had. By the way, they have free Wi-Fi too. So good Wi-Fi. That's, that's how we got all and those images good. out, and the videos, and the tweets. Uh, I was couldn't have been happier. But it's it's a wired modern NFL stadium and and. Um, yeah, and Raiders fans. I just want to give a shout-out to the Raiders fans really quickly. Everybody yeah. knows Raiders fans are passionate, um, but they're smart. Uh, everybody's always, oh, the black hole, and they fight. Baloney. There, there were seas of uh, a lot of Ravens fans in town for all the reasons we just mentioned, you know, coming coming to open the stadium. Just playful interaction between all of them. We saw no any kind of ill will uh, they were super welcoming, super smart, super vocal. Uh, they're smart football fans, really smart football fans. They were they were honored at the right times. They were, you know, and when the Raiders weren't playing well for all the wrong reasons, they let them know. And they love <laughs> to have a good time. They love to party. Uh, it's a great family bonded mix. And you could feel it. Like, you could feel it in the stadium, how connected they are to that team. And you might not think that because they just moved from – you know, one of the one of their ancestral homes, I guess, to to a new place didn't matter. People traveled from all over the country. I've met people from Florida and from who grew up in California, but now live on the East Coast and flew in from Boston. And um, it, it was just a tremendous atmosphere in the fans. That group of fans really added to it. Tailgating was outstanding, um, but just a really cool group of fans. So shout out to the Raiders fans for just for being awesome and, and welcoming. Yeah, and I'm I'm still wearing my jersey, by the way, because I don't think you're going to peel that thing off because it was pretty hot. D- Darren Waller made me a lot of money, so I feel like I had to honor him in this show. Uh, speaking of passionate fan bases, by the way, Steelers and Bills are also two very passionate fan bases, and they collided for our second three up, which is uh, a very defense-oriented game. I mean, I think they had like – three total points between them in the first half. And then things, I don't want to say exploded, but they definitely got a little bit more active in the second half. Um, It was, I kind of went into this game expecting, okay, it's going to be a clash between Bill's offense and Steelers defense, but it actually ended up being a clash between Steelers defense and Bill's defense because they both played very, very well. Bill's in particular, I felt their defense dominated. Only 252 yards total given up, 4.6 yards per play. Did very well stopping the run. Um, they they did not let these Steelers receivers get loose deep down the field. Ben was kind of forced to being a you know a dink and dunk. Uh, they had like six point two 
average depth of target, which I don't necessarily think that was all just because like Ben's arm isn't the same as it used to be. Like I, I went back and watched the game and they just, there was just nothing there. Like they had a couple shots of Deontay. They had one to Claypool, but for the most part, these safeties just did not give these receivers, you know, really any room or, you know, really any isolated matchups for Ben to work with down the field, just a, a overall terrific performance by the Bills secondary. Unfortunately, they still lost the game because the Steelers defense also played extremely well. And then they had a big play on special teams. They blocked a punt for a score, which ended up being the difference in the game. But just a very old school, hard nosed defensive battle. And one that, um, especially because the Steelers won, and that kind of gives them a little bit of an inside track towards a wild card berth here, if things go as we expect for the rest of the year. Uh, this is a matchup that we might actually get to see again sometime in January. Yeah, for sure. And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about a couple of Steelers on the defensive side of the ball. You definitely mentioned the Bills having a great day on defense, but Minka Fitzpatrick played the lights out and Cam Hayward did too. And we say this about Cam Hayward every week. If we talk to people like Ted, talk to people like Doug Farrar or, you know, Brandon Thorne, who pulls apart offensive line, we say, who, you know, who gives offensive linemen the most? You know, like Cam Hayward is in the top five all the time of people in the know that watch film and understand what a difference maker he is. Cam Hayward just doesn't miss. Like he just doesn't have bad weeks. He's in there every week wrecking stuff, bottling up the inside, causing pressure, causing plays to go away from him, funneling him to the rest of the defense, making plays himself. And that's what sets him apart from a lot of sort of middle plugger type guys. He's he's active enough to make plays on his own. But Minka, in terms of safety play, made a ton of big plays. Because, again, the Bills offense, we think of Josh Allen and how dynamic it was under Brian Dable last year and everything else. They didn't get anything going. They, they didn't hit 20 points in this game. You know, Bills safeties, yeah, they did great. None of those, you know, formidable Steelers receivers got over 50 yards. I think Juju had, what, 52? Uh, yeah, Something Juju like had that. 52, yeah. and Claypool had 45. Deontay Johnson, who I was really hot on before the season, five catches, 36 yards. So everything was underneath, and they were coming down on it hard. And Minka was doing that on the other side, limiting that explosive Bills passing attack. And you get a force up front, a force in the back end of that defense. You get a defensive struggle on that side too. Again, special teams is the difference. We even we gloss over special teams sometimes in terms of it being an equal third of the game. But it was the difference in this one. And I also want to talk about their their outside backers. You know, T.J. Watt, who had a not a hold out; it was a hold in for the majority of the offseason until he just got a massive well-deserved contract 28 million a year did not skip a beat you know was immediately generating a bunch of pressures cam hayward led the team with 12 pressures because he's cam hayward he's ridiculous but tj still had seven pressures himself which is a fantastic game he had a couple sacks uh you know three extra quarterback hits on top of that just was a was an absolute force and you know, were it not for a guy that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the show having five sacks, I think TJ, you know, would have been putting his uh, his hat in the in the ring for uh, you know early defensive player of the year consideration. At least just looking at what he did in week one. Um, and also, I want to talk about Melvin Ingram and, and Alex Highsmith. You know, kind of uh, platooning to uh, replace Bud Dupree on the opposite edge. Both of them played very very well. Highsmith had some excellent reps and run defense. Um, you know, Melvin Ingram. Also, I felt had some really good pass rush reps. Like, 
it's uh, it, last year was kind of a rotation between Dupree and Highsmith and Watt. You know, Watt obviously played the mo- most out of any of them, but this year they're kind of platooning to to replace what they had in Bud Dupree, who was an excellent, excellent edge player. And so far it's working. You know, they, they got three guys that are all very capable of playing a lot of snaps. And um, I, I look at the Steelers defense and I don't know that I expected there to be any sort of like regression to the mean, but I, I did. I, I was very interested to see how they would hold up against an offense as explosive as Buffalo. And they held up very, very well, which if they can hold up against Buffalo, they could probably hold up against anybody. Yeah, I think Highsmith is a key player, and if you listen to Steelers sources that know the team better than we do, um, they've been banging the drum for Highsmith all through camp. Pay attention. He's playing well. He's progressing. You know, he's continued to learn. He's he's added to his repertoire. He's gotten a little bit bigger. He's holding up against the run better. Like, that's been a steady drumbeat from, from OTAs to camp all the way through. And Highsmith, I think, is going to be the key player to sort of unlock Ingram. That's a weird thing. Normally, you would think that's the other way around, that Highsmith would be the understudy and a a vet like Ingram. It's about keeping Ingram fresh for later in the season. If Highsmith can hold up and play more snaps early in the season, Ingram is going to be able to stay fresher and stay just as dangerous. Because if you were running him 70 snaps a game, 80 snaps a game. It's not going to last through November and December. But if Highsmith can pull 40, 50, and Ingram can come in for a good fresh 20 or 30 on on hot passing downs, and Watt's going to do Watt things on the other side, let's be clear, I'm not trying to minimize his role, then you have that, we talk about rule of three, you've got two of those guys coming in hot, and Hayward in the middle, you have your rule of three pretty soon, the offense doesn't know what to do. Who, who, who do we double, right? Because you can't double all of them if you have three of them. And the Steelers have got that going in the early going. And, you know, not, like you said, not unexpected from a Mike Tomlin team. Mike Tomlin's an excellent coach, has had, you know, many winning seasons and always fields a team that is, you know, competent and capable and, and looking for at least the playoffs kind of as the floor. And this year looks no different. By the way, if you're a Bills fan, you're listening to this and you're somewhat nervous about your offense, don't be. Like, there was – it's not rust because, like, they did get some some snaps in preseason, but uncharacteristically sloppy, particularly in the first half. They had three drops. They had a, a few more tips for incompletions that, that honestly should have been big gains. You know, they had, like, eight penalties. It, it, was, uh, it was a very sloppy game. And I felt like the Bills um, did a lot to contribute to their lack of production, just like the Steelers did a lot to contribute to the lack of Buffalo's production. They're not going to play that uncharacteristically poorly every week. They just happened to do it against an already very good defense, and it led to the results that we saw. I would not be surprised if they come out next week against the Dolphins, who are also a pretty good defense, and clean up a lot of those just boneheaded mistakes there's really no other way to say it you know they're not going to drop a whole lot of passes every single week they're not going to have four tip balls at the line of scrimmage every single week they're not going to have eight penalties every single week they just happen to do it against a very good defense and it it just compounded their issues so don't don't worry too much about the bills offense they're going to be okay but come playoff time they 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 can't do that because against another good team like Ste- like the Steelers they will get punished for that sloppiness and they will lose. You know it's not like Kansas City where 
when they're down by two possessions, they're always in it. Like Buffalo, Buffalo can't afford to be that sloppy like Kansas City. They, they kind of have to play a little bit more buttoned up. Uh, and then my last note that I have here is Pat Fryermuth is an absolute monster. He's <laughs> he's already out snapping Eric Ebron, and for good reason. It's because he blocks his ass off. Um, they ran a, a counter where you know he kind of faked like he was uh, he was slipping across the back of the line of scrimmage. We've seen teams run this. Cleveland ran it last year. It's a, it's a Shanahan thing. Um, the Niners ran it, and it's like a it's like a I think it's like a counter no. It's like an orbit motion counter or something. I can't remember the, the term or the word for it that they call it. It's it's just a it's a very fun play design, but basically Fryermuth like takes two steps to his left, stops, wheels around, and then blocks for the end around going the other way. Uh, and he took this poor DB and just took him off the screen. I mean, it was it was just delightful. I mean, he's throwing him into the sideline. And uh, I, I was just giddy when I saw that rep because I was like, yeah, that's what Frymuth does. He was one of the best blocking tight ends in all of college football, even with a torn labrum. And I had a sneaking suspicion that he was going to take Ebron's job sooner rather than later because of his blocking ability. I didn't think it would be week one, but here we are, and he's already out snapping the veteran. Yeah, I took great pride in sending that clip to you because you're such a Fryermuth stan. I like Fryermuth, to be clear. You love Fryermuth, and he cleaned that guy's house, and it's just so fun to see guys in this time of offense. Like, offense runs on stuff like that. Yeah, the big plays happen down the field, but it doesn't happen if you don't clean guys out. Same thing with big runs, right? If you don't make those gaps, your guys don't get it. Fryermuth, like, took his guy and flat out erased him all the way past the white line. Like, it was, he was a non-factor. So, great to see uh, some pretty hard played football in week one but also as you mentioned that sloppiness we talked about it a lot in our preview show like it's week one everybody's gonna overreact there's been a change to the preseason there's less games some starters play no reps together at all and it takes live game action to you know round off the rough edges work those kinks out get the drops hey i thought you we said this a lot as we were sitting in caesar's uh sunday at the sports book you know, oh man, why do you throw that ball? And it goes back to the replay. It's like, I ah, thought the receiver was going to break it off, right? Oh, nope. He thought the receiver was going to go deep. He thought he was going to go seam. He threw it over his inside shoulder. Turns out it was his outside. Those are the things, those kind of reps are the things that get cleaned up when starters used to play together for the third preseason game. Now that there's only three preseason games, some teams are playing their starters none, like took no snaps. All through the preseason, other coaches have a different philosophy and play their starters quite a bit. But we're just going to see that no matter on week one, it doesn't matter what the approach is, you're still going to see it. Live game action is different. Any NFL player will tell you when it counts, the speed is different, the intensity is different, uh, the time you have to make those decisions is different. And give it two weeks right week and a half at least don't don't overreact too positively too negatively to anything you saw in week one uh don't do the chicken little skies falling thing if you're a bills fan they still have josh allen brian dable they'll get it they'll get it cleaned up it's fine they still have all that talent you thought they had um but you know give it give it about two two weeks and then let, let's see in week three you know what which teams are really starting to hit their stride and which teams really aren't then then you can start to worry if you're at the end of the first month and your team's still not putting it together that might not be that they have preseason jitters anymore we're a month in 
This week's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their own unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. Jesus Christ, my voice sounds terrible right now, but we're going to get through this, I promise. The Purple Grid has over 1,800 open air channels that keep you cool and comfortable throughout these hot summer nights. Trust me, I live in Southern California where it gets about 90 plus every day around this time of year, so some nights really are just awful. I know all about how hard it is to sleep during them, but not only is the grid cooler, but it's also highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body no matter your size and no matter how you sleep. I can tell you from experience, having felt the grid myself when they sent me and EJ samples, that it's an awesome design and it really works. The vertical channels are extremely supportive and distribute your weight really, really comfortably. And the ventilation is awesome too, again, especially in summer. If you want to try it out for yourself just to see how it works for you, go to purple.com bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com bootleg10, promo code bootleg10 for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. Oh my God, I cannot talk. Let's just get back to the show. All right, and number three here in our 3F segment, we have Eagles and Falcons, which, you know, when looking at the schedule going into week one, this was not the game that I expected to uh, enjoy watching the most, especially because, I mean, it was was kind of a blowout win, but I I found it really fun to watch just because of how unexpected it was. Like, I I knew the Eagles were going to be better than they were last year. Like, they're healthier. Jalen Hurts is in year two. He looked really good in the preseason. You know, they, they've got more receiving talent. Like, theoretically, the Eagles were, were going to be a much better team. I did not expect that kind of domination. Like, coaching staff, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, receiving core. Th- this team was just clicking on all cylinders, and they dismantled the Falcons they out them. They out-coached them. They out-executed them. It was uh, it was an undressing from top to bottom. And again, even though it was a blowout, I really enjoyed watching it because I feel like the NFL is better when the Eagles are good. And uh, I I think all of a sudden the NFC East is a little bit more interesting to me. Yeah, even without the Week One overreaction, this happened again early for us on Sunday. Slater early games. I'm sitting there watching all the screens in the sports book can be a little bit overwhelming. It's kind of like red zone on steroids and, you know, you're just sort of, huh, what's going on? What's happening? Who's, who's out to a good start. And I just kept seeing Eagles players just lighting up Falcons players. And before the end of the first half, I turned to you and I said, man, the Philadelphia is just smacking Atlanta. Like every time I turn to that TV, there's a guy in a green Jersey, just laying somebody out. I thought that's they're playing with a lot of energy and it carried over and, and just sort of, you got the snowball rolling and it, and it kept going, but I, I was really impressed with Nick Sirianni overall. Um, I got on him about his opening presser because he just, it seemed too big for him. Like he, he just, you know, some people aren't great in the spotlight and, and I don't know if he's just having a bad day or, or what, but his opening presser was not great. And he looked like the exact opposite on the sideline on Sunday. This was a guy that looked like he belonged in the top spot and had his team hitting all the right notes in all the right phrases in all the right windows. Offense, defense, aggressiveness, um, play calling, K 
kept the Falcons off balance. Uh, again, put his, we talked about with Ted, put his players in spots to win, especially Jalen Hurts. Um, he just looked in control and like he was captain of the ship and the ship was clipping along at top speed. And that, for Eagles fans, should be more encouraging almost than anything else. And there were a lot of encouraging things that came out of week one. Jalen Hurts, I think if you sort of scrub Jalen Hurts' name off that and stuck that stat line on any other quarterback, they'd be in the running for Offensive Player of the Week almost automatically. Talking about 27 out of 35, 264 yards, three TDs, no picks, just gaudy efficiency. Like, he had that offense humming. This was not like, oh, they lucked into a couple of Hail Mary. No, like, he guided that team put his foot on the neck of the Falcons, never let up. And Hertz is not a loud guy, right? We've seen him in person. We've seen him at the Senior Bowl press intro. Like, he's a quiet dude, but he is quietly very focused on being the best player and the best quarterback he can. And in his second year, he he looked just like Nick looked. He looked ready to be there, in control, and, and again, pulling all the right levers at the right time. And that like you i was surprised by how efficient he was how hard the defense was hitting how much they were beating the falcons by like all just the level of all of that was what really kind of made me want to talk about this game and you you brought up hurts it wasn't just the efficiency like yes he he was barely under pressure for the game his starting offensive line they only had five pressures allowed amongst all of them. Like his offensive line was absolutely just kicking the ass of the Dolphin or the of the Falcons defensive front. But when he was under pressure, he still had that playmaker element where he could rescue his offense from a bad play. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't just the fact that he was driving the bus. It's that, you know, when the bus swerved a little bit, he was able to get it back under control. I remember specifically there was a play down in the red zone. I think they were on like the nine yard line. And, uh, you know, the Falcons finally got some good pressure coming off the right edge. And he just very calmly just took one step up, planted his foot, darted out to the right, escaped from a, a, a about-to-be-very-messy pocket to get out in space because he's an athlete. He can outrun these guys. And just threw an impeccable ball to Dallas Goddard right in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, could not be placed better. And I was like, that's, that's the difference in NFL games is yeah when the team is playing all together the offensive line is kicking ass the receivers are getting open everything like that fine but on the plays that don't go well if you have a quarterback that can still turn it into a positive and turn it into to seven points that's what makes teams dangerous and at least so far Jalen Hurts has shown the ability to not just be a bus driver but to be a playmaker yeah he hit the again I love what you said about that's the difference in NFL games, right? It's the ability to be calm, to deliver, to change what could be a negative play very, very easily into either a neutral play, because that can be enough sometimes, or in Jalen's case on Sunday, a positive play, a, a scoring play. And the difference between a sack down there on the goal line that he may have taken last year and the points that he put up this year are the things that win your team football games. And Jalen looked like he is absolutely ready to put the Eagles in position to win more of those games. 
then lose them. And that's what we saw in him. And so that's incredibly gratifying. And it's got to be just super rewarding for Eagles fans with a brand new head coach. Uh, you know, more hope, right? Hope in that building that the the plan is coming together, the program's coming together, the players have bought in. And to come out with a result from that, like week one, is is really cool. By the way, uh, Devontae Smith is as advertised he's he's gonna be insane he's gonna be a true number one for them you know Quez Watkins in the slot he caught a couple screens for first downs like as a as a yak guy he's proven to be a very dangerous threat for them we saw it in the preseason he ripped off like an 80 yard touchdown on the screen and then they threw it to him three more times in week one and he got first downs every single time you know Jalen Rager got involved the tight ends actually uh actually led them in in slot snaps over the receivers like they use the tight ends as, as big slots for most of the game and they were both uh very effective like like the, the eagles have weapons here and like you know miles sanders as, as running back ain't no slouch either when you combine playmaking quarterback with minimum five skill position players that you like and an offensive line that looks the best it's been since 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. Coincidentally, it's the first time their offensive line's been healthy since 2017. Like, I I think Eagles versus Dallas, whatever the over-under is, bet the over, because I don't think either one of these teams is going to be very easy to stop. Yeah, it does, you know, again, want to keep with that not overreacting to week one, but everything looks so good. And again, it wasn't one thing, right? The defensive line pressure was tremendous. And the Eagles have had a very good defensive line. They've had great players in that system. They continued to bring it, right? They reloaded. They're playing with energy. They're playing with force. The offense, when they got the ball back, was the same way, playing with poise, playing with you know precision. And you get all those elements flowing together and it starts to get us excited about, okay, we didn't think that Philadelphia was necessarily going to factor into this division. We were really looking in the, in the direction of, you know, Washington and Dak, if Dak was healthy, the Cowboys, that was really where we were focusing. And it was like, we'll see what the Eagles put together. Mm, You know, isn't it funny how things shift fairly quickly? I think, discounting the Eagles at this point because of the completeness of their performance would be a mistake. It's very NFC East for us to assume one thing and then have the complete opposite happen in week one. How about that? You know, (laughs) it's very on brand for the NFC East. Uh, By the way, Atlanta, I don't want to, I don't want to touch on them for too long because there's really not a whole lot positive to say. They couldn't, they couldn't block anybody. They, They couldn't tackle. They couldn't, Get a good rush. Calvin Matt really Ryan. Took a huge shot in the kidneys. It was one of those. Again, oh, I catch, saw that one. Yeah. You catch these rare or, or just random, I should say, not rare plays in a sports book where you're watching one thing and you kind of turn into another and you see, oh, and your eye goes back. And I was like, who was that? And I was like, oh, it was Ridley. He's coming across the middle and he took a shot right to the kidney. He got up and played the rest of the game, but that that one had to hurt. That That was a big yeah. hit. It's a safety that that triggered like just ten yards running full speed, and just fucking detonated him right in the back. <laughs> I was like, God, that looked bad. Like I said, the Eagles were hitting man. They they just out physicaled Atlanta completely. Matt Ryan, God bless him. There was not a whole lot he could do. Just under constant pressure, you know. Receivers. I don't want to say they struggled to get open, but it's 
it's hard for a receiver to get open when your quarterback has to get the ball out in under two and a half seconds every single play. Like, if you don't have the time to really, you know, stem and then give the head fake and break down, like, do all the, the really fancy stuff that you have to do to beat man coverage in the NFL, if you don't have the time to do that and you're pretty much just like, all right, I'm going to win on the release and speed cut and hope that Matt Ryan get me the, gets me the ball, if you're limited to to that because you have to get open like that it's uh it causes a little bit of um difficulty in terms of moving the ball and again all all the credit in the world to the eagles defense they just they did not give matt ryan and his receivers the time to be effective yeah and ryan can't do the same things hurts can do in the pocket like ryan's an okay pocket mover but when the Eagles were creating that pressure as quickly as they were. Like he, he's good for a step up, but like we said about Hertz, step up and hard pivot to the outside to go get himself the space. You're, you, you're probably going to get the step up from Matt Ryan, but that that's about where that's going to end. So if there's defensive tackle pressure, as there often was from the Eagles, that's the end of that play. Like you're not getting anything besides the four to six yards you could have gotten that first snap. And anything farther down the field is is late developing. He's he's not gonna have a chance to see it because there's a big gnarly guy in his face who is you know intent on putting him on the turf. Yeah, pretty pretty much the only shot plays they even had time to take were like, okay, you're speed releasing down the boundary and we're throwing a go ball because we're got to get this out in one and a half seconds. Like, if that's the only way you're gonna be able to throw past twenty yards, like you don't have time to sit in the pocket and step up and like you know, wait for a, a corner post to develop or like wait for that dig to develop on the backside. If you don't have time for that to happen, you're just, you're not going to move the ball. Not in the modern NFL. Not in chunks. So not in chunks, not in chunks at all. So rough day for Matt Ryan, not entirely his fault. Just the entire Falcons team uh, as a unit just did not play well. So we'll see what they do in week two. Uh, and uh, that does bring us to three down, by the way, which is again, uh, three more teams or players or coaches that had kind of a rough go of it, similar to Atlanta. And uh, we're going to start off with somebody who I don't think anybody expected to have this kind of game because he doesn't have this kind of games, but that's Aaron Rodgers, 15 of 28 for only 133 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. His passer rating was actually lower than if he just threw it in the dirt every single play. I don't know if he's ever even done that in his entire career, you know, have that kind of game where they were better off if he just didn't throw passes. Uh, but, you know, all credit to the Saints defense. They were uh, they were voracious up front. Elton Jenkins held his own, but everybody else, uh, especially in the interior, was just really, really struggling. Um, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, before he injured his thumb, was having a really good game. The secondary was playing extremely well as a whole, getting got a couple picks. Uh, but that's not to say that Rodgers was not at fault. I would say that both of his picks, like, were Aaron Rodgers' fault. Like, one of them was just an inexcusable ball that he was under pressure and just tried to flip it on a shallow cross. And I, I don't, I don't really know exactly what what he was trying to accomplish with it, but it just went right to a defender and got picked off. The second was like a moon ball uh, to I think Marquez Valdez Scantling on the backside that he just way overshot. And the free safety got an easy pick. It was just a bad, bad game for Aaron Rodgers. Like, not just his supporting cast playing badly, Aaron Rodgers himself playing badly. Yeah, and it's so uncharacteristic 
for Rodgers. Again, as a Bears fan, I'm used to him always pulling the right lever, always dismantling that team. And I turned to you several times during during that Sunday. I was like, why does he never do this against the Bears? And your answer was because he hates you, which is true. <laughs> uh, but Rodgers looked rusty. We talked about all that rust right and all those and that moon ball that you were talking about that particular interception really looked like that right we were like why did he throw that inside and we talked about some reasons we thought the receiver and it was a different read receiver saw something different than him but again just not being on the same page and the end result is he literally floats it and lets the free safety run underneath it with the receiver really not even in the frame um you just don't see him make those kinds of throws. You don't see him make mistakes on the goal line. And he had a terrible day. Like, he got pulled at the end because the game was so far out of hand. When's the last time Aaron Rodgers got pulled because the Packers were getting spanked so badly? And that it was his fault, right? There there'd been times, again, like you said, where the supporting cast let him down. This That wasn't the case. It was a combination. And he played horribly. And nobody is used to watching Aaron Rodgers play horribly. There's there's like super very good, <laughs> elite, pretty darn good, good enough to blow the doors off your favorite team. I didn't have the greatest day, but I'm still Aaron Rodgers and I won anyways. Those are all super popular outcomes for Aaron. This is territory he doesn't wander into hardly ever so it's pretty notable now do we think that's gonna last all season nah he's too good a football player for that but was it notable because it was such an outlier and just so uncharacteristic all through the game yeah yeah he earned his spot on the list is he gonna be on this list ever again this season who knows probably Probably not not, but he (laughs) he earned it this week it it was and I bet on him. <laughs> yeah, I, no, he crushed me too. I, I had a I, an afternoon parlay. I had I a on two or three games, and it seemed like easy enough money, right? Uh, yeah, I actually placed it halfway uh, with a friend and said, "Hey, like I'm in Vegas, you know, give me a bet you like, and I'll I'll place it. We'll split it if we win." And he's like, I don't know, Packers at a neutral site because this game was not played in New Orleans, right? He said, Packers at a neutral site, three and a half? That seems like easy money. And I was like, okay. And Aaron Rodgers decided that the the first time I've bet on him in probably 10 years, uh, no, he's just going to burn that money and throw it away. Uh, so, you know, it was it was surprise. It was just the level, again, like the level of the Eagles being good above the mean we expected, the level of Aaron Rodgers being bad below the mean of really anything we've ever seen uh, for a long, long time was like, what is he doing? And yeah, I, I rubbed my eyes several times to make sure that score was right, and and he, he earned it. Our uh, three down number two, is uh, another another duo, I guess you could say, that we, just like Aaron Rodgers, we did not expect week one to go this way for them. And that's uh, the, on paper, formidable combination of, of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown combining for only seven catches, 78 yards, and, and that one touchdown in a blowout loss to Arizona. You know, Derrick Henry will throw in there too, just talk about all the, the Titans skill position players. 17 rushes for only 58 yards. When's the last time he got 17 carries and never broke one at a, a 3.4 average? 
I mean, the, the Cardinals defense was flying around. And uh, I, I think that they were just absolutely dominating the Titans up front. And, you know, Henry just had no space, like absolutely no space to kind of get up to steam and, you know, do that patented stiff arm and then do, do, do Derrick Henry things down the field. Tannehill, I just don't think at any time at all to actually hit Julio and AJ down the field. They were really reduced to quick game by the end there. I, I think it really all comes down to Titans offensive line got dominated. And because the Titans offensive line got dominated, Ryan Tannehill got dominated. And because Ryan Tannehill got dominated, the skill position players just could not do anything. Yeah, Tannehill just got pounded in this game. Every, again, every time we were scanning the TVs and we got across that game, it was Tannehill running for his life, Tannehill folding under his sack, Tannehill throwing a ball away before he took a shot in the back. Like, I thought, man, like, I turned to you at one point and said, Tannehill's getting beat up. Like, I've seen him on the ground, like, three times. And again, you're not watching one game. You're from <laughs> and game that was in game. the first five minutes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was like, he was on the ground, like, four times in the first quarter. And, you know, that's not what we're used to seeing out of Mike Vrabel's Titans is that offensive line has been a strength and it has given him the time. And he has been one of the top five quarterbacks, certainly in the last couple of years in terms of production. He looked, I don't want to say scared because I'm never going to put that on an NFL player. If you wander on that field, you're brave enough. But he looked like he was folding early. He was starting to see the rush. And that's rare for him. And it absolutely affected the outcome of this game and certainly the stats that we see sort of again downstream to AJ and Julio and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was getting hit early again he and usually he still gets through that but he just never did he never got rolling. Is that a little concerning? Sure here's a running back he's got a ton of mileage on him we're not going to overreact to week one but we the last time we saw Derrick Henry run the ball in the playoffs last year same thing took a ton of hits didn't end up with a ton of yards wasn't a factor in the game so from great defense to the cardinals we're going to pivot to not great defense this is a game that i only got to watch half of and then i had to watch the replay of and this is the bears defense a unit that i i'm sort of two ways about and have been since uh, you know changes were made let's just go with changes were made this summer really excited about sean desai as a coordinator and hoping for a return to form for several players who did not excel under Chuck Pagano. And that's the good side. That's the, the, the good guy on this shoulder saying the Bears defense might be good because, hey, they have Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Sean Desai knows what to do with guys like Eddie Jackson. And yeah, this could be good. And then there's the little guy on the other shoulder with the pitchfork that's going, have you seen their secondary? <laughs> <laughs> it's Jalen Johnson and a bunch of guys, right? Because Eddie played terribly last year, and it literally at the corner ranks since Fuller uh, left town. We'll just say Kyle Fuller left town. Jalen Johnson played mm. great. No problem with Kyle Fuller. Uh, I prefer that he would have stayed. Jalen Johnson, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, great. But literally the corner depth after that, it goes straight to Kendall Vilder. And if you don't know that name, you're probably not a Chicago fan or an NFL draft fan. Um, but the names don't get better from there. Uh, they had Desmond Trufant in for a bit. They let him go before the season in the roster cutdowns. Like, this secondary is of tremendous concern. And the last time you want to take that secondary up against anybody, it's McVay and the Rams with 
Matthew Stafford pulling the trigger this time and all the receivers that we love to name. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, you know, even Tyler Higby. Of course, he got into the act. But the Bears' defense, 7.7 yards of play. Think about that. You're looking at first and two and a half, <laughs> right? First and two and a half every play. Uh, if that's yeah, you're probably average. gonna have a lot of success if you're if you're never in third and long the entire game. And, and you might. I mean, there were third downs in this game, but you know, 34 points they gave up. It just looked very easy to move the ball against them. They did not seem to be providing a lot of resistance against the Rams. Only generated one sack. That was disappointing as well. So it wasn't just the coverage. It was the pressure. We talked about how those things influence each other in a positive way. They can also influence each other in a negative way. If the pass rushers aren't getting home, guys are having to hold up in coverage, and they're not, Like it just looks bad all over. And it looked bad all over for the Bears' defense. On that, uh, that cup touchdown, which there was some debate about whether it was a blown coverage, you know, whether Stafford manipulated the safety with his eyes. You know, I, I talked to, to Coach Vass about it, who knows this defense very, very well. Because um, when I looked at it, I was like, this doesn't look like the safety blew it. It kind of looks like the nickel blew it because you had a two-on-one on the safety playing half field. It was, it was quarter, quarter, half. And they were in a three by two empty, three to the field, two to the boundary. And they were playing a half field safety to the three side, which is not something that you normally see because it's very easy to overload a safety with a two on one if he has to account for number two and number three if they both go vertical. And so I was like, that doesn't that doesn't seem right to play a half field safety to the three side that's to the field. And he's like, yeah, this this shouldn't have happened, especially in empty. Like that's, that's a bad call that they needed to get out of because all they had to do was run two verticals and the safety can't cover both of them. And the nickel just let cup go because the nickel thought that, you know, safety was helping over the top, but the safety can only help on one guy. So to me, I'm not sure if that's, you know, Sean Desai putting in a play call and then his guys not reacting properly to the look I'm not entirely sure who's wearing the dot that should have got them out of that. But to me, that's indicative of like, these guys are not gelled. If they can't even identify trips to the field and realize that they should not be in a half field safety look, which seems relatively simple to me, like don't even try to put your safety in that kind of position. If they're not even recognizing that kind of look and making the appropriate adjustments on the field, we got a long way to go before this Bears defense is even remotely threatening. I totally agree that it's it's concerning. Not going to overreact to week one, but I'm also not going to say that I was waiting for week one. I've been overreacting about the secondary since they made the decision about Fuller and some other decisions. And every time there's been an opportunity to add a corner as a free agent uh we talked we saw casey hayward in action casey hayward was available bears didn't move on him i would have loved a veteran guy like that and i think the bears would <laughs> i think sean desai would love to have a smart guy like that in the secondary right now that knows a division that'd be amazing they just haven't done it they've sort of steadfastly refused and said nope we're gonna go with jalen johnson and largely if you look at it and I'm not trying to demean these guys. They're all NFL players, spare parts, right? Guys that were drafted in the fifth round or later, um, you know, Marquis Christian, 
was the nickel. This is a guy that's got something like 700 snaps total across five years of NFL service. Like, this is what you're going with as your first line of defense in a pass-first league against teams like L.A. It's not like L.A. is some superpower that has amazing players that you're not going to see that level of. You're going to see a good two or three wide receivers every week in your own division and elsewhere. That is the new standard. And you don't have the clubs in your bag, right? You don't have the firepower to match up with those guys if you need to, just like you talked about in those defensive sets, one-on-one, and win consistently. You're going to get beat. And that's your best-case scenario, right? If Jalen Johnson hurts his shoulder again, and knock on wood, I don't want that to happen. I want Jalen Johnson to be able to play all 17 games this year, be healthy, and have a great career. But they are one twisted ankle away from, who's that guy starting against (laughs) Devontae Adams? Who's that guy on Adam Thielen? I've never, how do you pronounce his name? Like, that's not a place you want to be at the beginning of the season. That is just too much risk, from my opinion, for an NFL secondary. And the Bears are sitting right there. So, again, they're going to have to, they're going to have to manufacture some stuff. Uh, and that means the defensive line is going to kind of have to overplay. And I know that's a crazy thing to say about a defensive line with all the talent it has. But they're going to have to lift a little bit more than they're part of the load so that those guys don't have to cover as long. Because if those guys are forced to cover for a long time, the Bears are going to get beat regularly. Well, if, uh, if Jalen Johnson gets hurt, you know who actually is going to be playing? Cover your ears, Steelers fans. I, I know. Artie Burns. The, the aptly named Artie Burns. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, pray for pray for the health of Jalen Johnson or else things could possibly get even worse in Chicago. Uh, why don't we move on to three interesting now, the uh, third part of this, uh, you know, three for three for three new format we got going here. And uh, it's kind of the flip side of that, that Titans – point that we had earlier Chandler Jones and Isaiah Simmons like we know Chandler Jones is really really good uh probably one of the more underappreciated pass rushers of his generation just got to 100 career sacks by the way and it seemed it seemed like people didn't realize like Chandler Jones was close to 100 career sacks like yeah he's he's been highly productive (laughs) he's been highly productive so he passed that this week Shows no signs of slowing down. I think he's he's going to end up very high on the all-time sack list, higher than maybe people thought. Um, going, you know, a couple of years ago when he was dealing with injuries, and everybody's like, "Ooh, I don't know, is his career winding down?" Like, nope, he's doing just fine. He's still Chandler Jones. Uh, and then Isaiah Simmons, you know, we all, we all know the physical profile. We were uh, we were just kind of waiting for things to click for him, and I do feel like that with the additions that they've made on this roster. You know, you got Zayvon Collins, who we've talked about a lot over the last couple of months. Um, you know, the defensive line is extremely deep. You're bringing in J.J. Watt. You know, their interior rotation is really good. You know, kind of surrounding Isaiah with all this talent where you could just play fast and just be Isaiah Simmons. We got to see what that looks like against the Titans, where he's got run-through angles against Derrick Henry in the backfield, and Derrick Henry is not running him over. Like, this is a... This is a, a linebacker that's actually giving pounds to Derrick Henry. And that that's really exciting to me, is to see a linebacker with that kind of speed, that kind of hitting ability, that kind of coverage ability. 
he could very easily be a very special player at this defense. And I, I, I don't want to say that the light is all the way on, but we saw a little bit of a flicker. And I think if we just keep seeing him stack these kinds of games, really the sky's the limit for this entire Cardinals defense because, damn, that front seven just played really well. Yeah, Simmons in particular. I mean, we'll start with Chandler Jones because the reason Tannehill was on the ground many of those times because Chandler Jones was whooping the tackle and was in his lap. And Chandler Jones knows what to do once he gets there. He's not a guy that struggles to get people onto the ground. And it wasn't until after the game that I was like, five five sacks? Again, you miss things in a sports book. Um, as many things as you catch. And it's a super cool experience if you've never done it. I've never done a full NFL Sunday in a sports book. Um, and it was cool. It was really interesting. But enough things happen that you don't you don't add up all the stats at the same time. And, and like, we were walking away, and I was like, five? Sat- five? I saw three, like, and I In the first quarter. Others. Yeah, and I missed <laughs> two others. But Simmons, we know about that physical profile, and he had a slow start. We chronicled this last year that he he they brought him in. They weren't really sure about the plan. He wasn't really up to speed, and they basically put him back on the bench until midseason. And then their plan was to start rolling him out with very specific assignments and adding to that every week. And they did that through the balance of the back half of the season, and he played better every week. And that's what you want to see. He just wasn't able to do it at the start of the season. A lot of people are impatient, super high pick. A lot of people said wasted pick because they made up their mind and moved on. That wasn't correct. And we said that in the second half last year. Like, hey, pay attention to Simmons. He's in there now. He's playing. He's making at least one impact play a week. And he's adding to it. He's doing a little bit more every week. He's doing a little bit more coverage, a little bit more rush. So it's great to see him pick up where he left off. Again, we often say progress isn't linear. This looks like linear progress to me. <laughs> this looks like he is stacking on what he did last year. And he made some impact stops early in that game. He's big enough and strong enough that he can take one of Derrick Henry's legs out. And that's all he has to do. And he was smart enough not to take him straight down the middle and grab a half. <laughs> and that was enough to bring Derrick Henry to the ground. And it's... If you see that kind of effectiveness, we all know that he can cover in space. He's got great length. He's got great strength. This is a guy that has all the tools, and the light is coming on. You said a couple of flashes. Like, he played solidly, and he made some impact plays as well. He's got surrounding talent, so he doesn't have to try and do it all. Isaiah Simmons, the arrow, is pointing strongly up. Yeah, if if you can, watch the Cardinals' defense in week two because uh, they are like, I thought they were going to be good. Uh, you know, they it just happened to be in a really rough division, but uh, they, they even exceeded my expectations for them. And I'm a very pro Cardinals analyst. I guess you could say like, I, I really like their talent. They even did better than I thought they would. And that's saying a lot. Like I picked them to win this week and they still exceeded my expectations. So definitely catch a Cardinals game in week two, if you can, because they're a really fun team to watch. Um, three interesting. Number two, we we have to talk about that Texans Jags game in some form because oh my god uh that's my first note is oh my god <laughs> the the Jags the Jags looked awful like completely outmatched in every phase of the game it it was bad it was really bad but i i want to take and sp- focus specifically on more positive note which is Tyrod Taylor 
looked really good. You know, 32-year-old Tyrod Taylor still getting it done. 21-33 to for, for two touchdowns. You know, put another 40 up rushing. But he had some plays on the move, like outside the pocket. Some throws that he made were just like, wow, okay, he he can still do it. Like, you know, the Chargers team doctor didn't completely ruin him. He, he's still doing it. And God, the, the, the moonshot that he had to Brandon Cooks deep down the field, by the way, into double coverage, that was like a Russell Wilson ball to Tyler Lockett. Like, one of the best throws that I've seen Taylor make in years was that one right there. He was just, uh, like, fully in, uh, in, in top Tyrod Taylor form. As good of a game as I've seen him play in his entire career. And, uh, you know, credit to him. He's still getting it done. And um, I, I'm happy for him, you know, with, with everything that happened with the Chargers and, you know, how his um, starting tenure unceremoniously ended there because of a, a medical mistake by, by team staff. For him to bounce back and, you know, start a game in the NFL and play as well as he did. It's a great story, and I'm, I'm really happy for Taylor. Yeah, I put him on the list because we're probably not going to be talking about him a lot this year. And, it, you know, I've been a Tyrod stand for a long time. I I feel like, you know, he's a guy that can get you wins in, in the mold of a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? He's, he's not going to be that top guy that's going to lead you to wins in the Mahomes territory or the Rodgers or, or even the Josh Allens. But he is a guy that can win games. He's smart. He's tough. He can still move, and we got to see him make a bunch of different throws. He he certainly is known as a distributor of the football, but he can still let it go on the run. Um, 291 yards through the air, and again, on a team that not a lot of people are paying attention to, and a good reason that they won that game is Tyrod, you know, played very well at the quarterback position. So wanted a chance to mention him. And that moves us to our last one of three interesting. That's a Bengals offense. It's almost like the, people used to say triplets with the Dallas Cowboys, right? Well, this is this is quads <laughs> because, hey, it's a passing league now. Joe Burrow came back 20 of 27 and two TDs. You might say, hey, you know, EJ, that's, that's not amazing. He didn't have to be amazing. He led them very well, and he distributed it to the other guys. And those guys are Chase and Higgins, his wide receivers. Unlike the Tennessee wide receivers, these guys put up nine for 159 and two scores and looked good doing it. We were all over T. Higgins last year. We were just waiting for him to get somebody on the other side that could hold it up. They draft Jamar Chase up high. Uh, had some notable comments about drops. No drops on Sunday. Looked just like his old LSU self. And then Joe Mixon, not to be forgotten again, coming back from injury. 29 for 127, 1 TD, almost 5 yards a carry, 4.7 a carry. It's that balance. Having a guy like Burrow that's really smart, knows how to distribute, and did that at LSU. Did it last year as well. Having Chase and Higgins to balance each other out and saying, okay, who who do you want to double? You can double one of them. Probably can't double both of them. Oh, all right, you're going to drop back and you're going to rush three. We're going to run Joe Mixon at you all day because Joe Mixon's incredibly talented. And having that kind of offensive balance is going to make the Bengals a tough out this year. And it's kind of like, it's great because this is how the architect of the Bengals drew it up, right? <laughs> okay, we need to go get our quarterback. We've already got Mixon. Uh, you know, we're going to draft T. Higgins a little bit later. You know, he's a value. Oh, yep, we were right about Higgins. Okay, we need one more piece to balance this whole thing out so it doesn't lean left going down the road and they're all in the field 
for the first time and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. They're like as advertised that, you know, that Mike Brown and his folks just got to be like rubbing their hands going, this is what we meant. And Burrow, classic Burrow, you know, as uh, as cocky and confident as we love him to be. First thing, so post game, because they won and, you know, Jamar Chase at the podium. Joe Burrow sits down at the podium and the first thing he says is, I thought he was dropping everything. <laughs> Just completely trolling all the media that was doom and gloom on Jamar Chase before he ever took an actual meaningful NFL snap. I, I, I don't know. The, the Bengals I find to be supremely entertaining because I, I love Joe Burrow. Um, I, I thought Jamar Chase was a phenomenal talent. T. Higgins was one of my favorite rookie receivers last year. And, you know, obviously Joe Mixon, you know, maybe hasn't had a lot of great supporting talent around him, but is still, I think, one of the more physically gifted running backs in the league. Like, the the amount of offensive firepower that Cincinnati has should not be overlooked. And it was it was fun to just finally see it come together. Like, it's, it's, it's just kind of been theory crafting for months of, like, Oh, can you imagine when Joe's healthy and he's got Jamar and he's got T and he's got Joe and, you know, Tyler Boyd in the slot? Like, isn't it going to be fun? But in the back of your head, you're like, okay, but will it actually go down like that? It actually went down like that. The theory turned into reality. And since he's just fun, like they're just fun to watch again. And uh, I I really can't wait to watch all these, you know, divisional battles in the AFC North because you're going to get, you're going to get all this firepower going up against the Steelers defense. You're going to get you know, potentially like a, a battle of Ohio shootout when you got all the skill position talent for Cleveland and all the skill position talent for, uh, for Cincinnati going at it. Like the AFC North is fun, fun. And I just, I'm just psyched about it because uh, again, I, I, I love watching the NFL when like mid-level franchises are entertaining you know the the Panthers the Cardinals the Bengals you know not the traditional superpowers like the Steelers and the Patriots like I love it when the mid-level guys are fun and uh so far at least this season in week one all the mid-level teams are actually really really entertaining and and uh I I just couldn't be happier with how this NFL season started out beware the Bengals get the Bears next week so they might look stratospheric <laughs> if it, i mean we all know what joe burrow can do in terms of being an absolute assassin right he is not only uh, timely and and can make big plays but he is famous the thing that i leaned on and and the reason i started calling him an assassin during the scouting process was he will find the weakness and he will hit it lots of quarterbacks can see it some quarterbacks can hit it. Seeing it and hitting it happens sometimes. Quarterbacks put it together. Burrow's one of those guys that has the physical tools to hit it, and he sees it all the time, and he hits it a ridiculous percentage of the time, like 85 90% of the time. When you leave a guy single-covered and he gets open, Burrow hits him. He is just murderous that way. And if you think I'm not nervous going into next week's game, <laughs> uh, like I, there is the possibility, and you know this isn't something you'd say all that often, that the Bengals absolutely pants the Bears. I mean, just boat race them. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. So, uh, are, are you saying the uh, Andy Dalton revenge game is uh, off the table here? 
Huh? It's regardless. It's the Andy Dalton revenge game. <laughs> that that angle's not going away. And I would love to see Andy step up and say, "Okay, so everybody thinks I'm average, and all I can do is throw horizontally." Well, looky here, I'm gonna actually throw to Allen Robinson this week because you know that would be nice. But Sp- spoken like somebody who got burned on a an over under for for Robinson yards in week one, huh? <laughs> yeah. No comment. That was not friendly. Well, you would way. think he'd get more than sixty-three. Yeah, yeah, it was the <laughs> the over under was sixty-three and a half, and I chose the over because I was like, "Look, Dalton's going to be thrilled that he's got a pro wide receiver out there that is, you know, going to be open, that is reliable catching the ball." And they, it's not that they didn't target him; they targeted him, but the the Rams knocked the hell out of Allen Robinson, and not always legally. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. But you know it. It's a great game to watch. Again, I'm with you that mid-level talent being good in the NFL is good for the NFL. And, you know, saying that Bears-Bengals to, you know, I would say the Bears are a lower-level team and the Bengals are moving their way up to a mid-level team. That's an interesting matchup because of the Andy Dalton revenge game aspect and because, quite frankly, Cincinnati's developing some really cool offensive talent. We got to see it work together. That makes an interesting game, and the more interesting games there are, the happier we are as NFL fans. Well, why don't we uh, renew the tradition at this point in time of uh, the bootleg shot of the week. And uh, normally this is where we commemorate, you know, our favorite hit of the week, like, say, uh, Derek Brown obliterating uh, Zach Wilson's rib cage, or, you know, Pat Fryermuth, uh, you know, putting some poor sap into the bench on that run block I mentioned earlier. But this week it's going to a, a, a very special someone, and that is Lil John. Because when we were in the stands at the Raiders game last night, much to our surprise, I think it was during a commercial break, I can't remember. They cut to Lil John in the stands at Allegiant Stadium doing shots with Raider Nation, and it, 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 that to me cemented Allegiant being a top five stadium in the NFL because where else are you going to go? Like, you're, you're not going to Lambeau and doing shots with Lil John. You're going to Vegas. So this one's for you, Lil John. the bootleg shot of the week. Cheers, and uh, I can't wait to come back and drink with you again because that, that was a hell of a game. It was extremely entertaining, a la Vegas. Ooh. Terramana goes down so good, man. It's, you know, it was even before we knew The Rock was behind that brand of tequila. It was just, I, again, discovered that stuff at a great little Mexican place that I I wish I could take you to, but it happens to be like two and a half hours from my house. So not not probably going to just drop in, but they have one of the best menus out there. Uh, but no, the whole experience around Allegiant in terms of they had everything lined up. They had, like you said, Gladys Knight doing the anthem. They had Ice Cube live at halftime. They've got Raider greats in the booth for every commercial break. The whole thing start to finish was engaging, historic. It just felt like an event, right? It felt like a party. Um, but it didn't take away from the football. It just added to it. And so can't wait to go back and be part of that again, because it, like I said, fans were so welcoming stadium and incredible atmosphere. And then you add in just all those flashes of, of entertainment and they, they knitted it together perfectly. It was one of the top five sporting events I've been to in my life. Easily, 
easily. Oh, we didn't even mention the bracelets. On every single seat, they give you these bracelets and they like geolocate and time up like with these lights that come on to like the music that Stevie Oki's playing and you know, the the Raiderette dances at commercial breaks. Everybody's got these light up bracelets. So the, they, they shut off the lights and the stadium's dumping and the lights are going. It's insane. Like you don't, you don't get that anywhere else, man. It's, it's just different there. It's Vegas. It's so Vegas, but it was great. So uh, why don't we wrap it up by getting to our week two watch list. These are uh, some of the games that we're looking forward to watching the most uh, i'll start it off with bills dolphins what are you excited about specifically with miami and buffalo who i pick miami to win the division you pick buffalo what are you looking for specifically in this game yeah it's going back to that divisional preview and saying again uh buffalo won the division last year first time in a while They've added talent, not taken away, haven't lost any coaches. Miami has continued to improve. Two is in year two. Like these are the two, you know, this is Kong versus Godzilla in the AFC East, or so we thought until Mac Jones started playing really well. And now it might be a three headed monster. But these are two of the heavyweights in the division, and the division games matter, right? It's the path to the playoffs. Win your division. And we knew that. These were the two that were going to try and just knock the snot out of each other and take games from each other in terms of divisional games. And this is the first time we get to see them go at it uh, this year in their current iterations. And I'm I'm excited. I hope the Bills rebound a little bit from last year, uh, last week's performance. Um, but the Dolphins are tough, right? It's not going to be an easy. This is not a cupcake that you're going to you know go pad some stats against. That defense is voracious. And it's going to be a very early season. I, I'm not going to say must win because it's not a must win, but it is a you're going to look back if you miss by one game and think, ah, would have been nicer to play a little t- tighter against the Dolphins, right? I would say uh, my first game I'm looking forward to is Cowboys Chargers. A, just because it's a fascinating matchup between a, a seemingly miraculously healed Dak Prescott who played out of his mind, uh, <laughs> at least for what we expected, against Tampa. We recapped that game last episode where uh, it, he seemed fine medically. Like, I'm sure he was hurting while throwing, but it did not really seem to impact his performance at all. He was fully in his bag for that game. And, you know, matching that up with Justin Herbert, who was my pick for MVP, you know, two of the two of the better young quarterbacks in the entire league that are just surrounded by talent. You know, you got CD, you got Amari on the field, you got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, you know, Zeke and Eckler and the tight ends. Like, there, there's just so much offensive talent in this game. The one thing that I'm really interested to see is how is Dallas going to survive their injuries? Because they just lost Gallup. Lyle Collins is suspended for, I think, five weeks. So you got Terrence Steele starting at right tackle. You're getting Zach Martin back, but you're losing Lyle Collins. So you're still down a man on the offensive line. You're down your your number three receiver, who's a really good deep threat. They're insisting that Cedric Wilson is going to be able to step in and immediately be Michael Gallup in that role. But no, he's not. Michael Gallup is is, is just different. Like, if your number three receiver is Michael Gallup, you're, you're doing pretty damn good in the NFL. So it's... Seeing how an undermanned, still, Cowboys team matches up with a fairly loaded Chargers roster, um, that is a game that I really can't wait to watch. Because I'm not saying the Cowboys can't win, because you have 
honestly, you have Dak Prescott and you have CD and you have Amari. Like they could very easily win when you have when you have those three. Not to mention Zeke. Um, but it's it's a tall tall order, and uh, it's just a really really interesting matchup. Yeah, it's like early season measuring stick game. <laughs> you know, again, we're we're moving out of the chaos of week one, starting to get towards the, the sort of truer selves of the NFL season. And is the Dallas defense, you know, was it an illusion that they played that well against Tampa? Or can they hold up against, again, what is a very good Chargers offense? And how's that Chargers defense going to do? Again, plenty of talent, but tall order going against Dak when he is dealing and he looked to be dealing last week. So what's the what's the reality here is is who's going to regress, who's going to step up? Fascinating matchup. Um, 49ers-Eagles is a game that I'm really interested in. Shanahan, we love his schemes. He's got talent. They're healthy. Um, they looked very good in week one. We didn't talk much about that game. And the Eagles, surprisingly competent under Nick Sirianni in week one. And again, looked really balanced. It wasn't just one thing or a couple of shot plays. It was that they played well in all phases. So, uh, you know, again, not a game I would have circled two weeks ago. Now I'm kind of like, oh, put a dotted line around that one. That could be... Uh, much more even than we thought in the NFC. So 49ers Eagles has a has a bunch of interesting angles. And again, as we get away from week one, were, were the Eagles pretenders? Are the 49ers just going to continue to ascend? Are they going to stumble? There's just a fascinating bevy of storylines in that game. So it's going to be an interesting watch. Uh, and one of the storylines in that game, by the way, is more fantasy-oriented. But people, myself included, were losing their minds because Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch announced right before the game. And Brandon Ayuk played like 40% of the snaps. And I was really big on Ayuk. I was really big on Sermon. And they goose And they don't you. care about your fantasy team, Brett. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan gives zero shits about your fantasy team. But I want to encourage people not to panic yet. Because Kyle Shanahan only wanted three running backs active for that game. Jamichael Hasty and Elijah Mitchell play special teams. Trey Sermon does not. So if he's going to have only three running backs active, he wants two of them to be able to play special teams. And Trey Sermon was the odd man out there. I still think he's a more talented runner than the other two, but they, he just he's not a special teamer. Mostert got injured. Seems like he's done for the year because he elected to have season-ending surgery. So Trey Sermon is going to be right back in the lineup as probably either him or Mitchell, I would imagine, is going to lead them in carries because Mitchell had a really good game. But I, don't don't worry about Trey Sermon. He's going to play this week. He'll be fine. Um, it was From what I gather, it was not a doghouse situation. It was a utility situation because, again, Kyle Shanahan does not care about your fantasy team. And then uh, on the Ayuk front, that one I can't. 100% be sure, but it seems like the hammy injury maybe was a little bit worse than we thought, and they're limiting him in terms of snap count. Like, they put him on a, a on a pitch count coming back in. It wasn't like he was running with the threes as a punishment, at least so far as I can tell. There was a rumor that he missed curfew, but that, that was confirmed to just be classic Twitter trolling. So, again, don't don't propagate that rumor if you've heard it. From what I could tell, that's not a real thing. It was he had the hammy injury. He was, you know, limited or out for like 10 days. Missed a lot of time in camp. Trent, for, Trent Sherfield stepped up in his absence, played really well. Kyle wanted to reward him with playtime. 
while they're still kind of easing Ayuk back into the swing of things. So, again, don't panic on either of those two. They're still very talented. In the long run, they're still both going to be very productive. Just whatever you do, don't trade them after week one. That would be a very bad idea. But you might trade for them. I don't, you might trade for You could probably get them for dirt cheap. I had a Twitter follower reach out and said, how do you feel about Ayuk after week one for Dynasty? Should I make a trade? I've got somebody. And I, was, <laughs> I couldn't type it in fast enough. I was like, yes, exclamation point. If you've got somebody willing to flip Ayuk because they're panicking, go get him. In Dynasty, you bet. Like, even if the hamstring persists another couple of weeks and he doesn't even get into the quarter pole of the season, in Dynasty, I don't care. Go get that guy. And he was like, sweet, right? I'll <laughs> I'll go lever him right now. And I'm like, yes, do that. Um, so these guys are good players. Uh, you're obviously higher on Sermon than I am and have been. Does that mean I hate Sermon? No, I don't. Do I? We both love Ayuk and... As long as it's not any sort of long-standing thing, which it doesn't look like it is, go get that guy. He's going to be incredibly talented within that system. And don't panic. It's week one, folks. Week one. Don't overreact. And uh, our last game on the watch list is one that you and I are once again going to be at this Sunday. I'm, I'm hopping on a plane. Let's see. This comes out Wednesday, I think. So I'm hopping on a plane tomorrow to go up to Seattle. My uh, my wife, Nicole, is coming with me once again, so we're catching two games in two weekends back-to-back. We're going to Titans and Seahawks. Uh, you know, going to get to see Russell finally throw those moon balls in person, check that one off the old bucket list, because I, I have a habit of not seeing all these legendary quarterbacks before they retire. I didn't get to see Peyton before he retired. I didn't get to see Breeze or Rivers before they retired, so I told myself, look, all the legends that are still currently playing, Brady, I'm Damn sure going to find a way to go to a Brady game before he's out of here in, in uh, I don't know, seven or eight years. I'm going to see Russ before he retires. I I really want to see these legends while I can. And, uh, you know, you happen to live not too far from, uh, what's the stadium called now? Lumen Field? It's Lumen Field now. Third iteration of, of the Seahawks nest uh, just slightly up north. But I am I couldn't be more excited. I know you guys love the Northwest, and it'll be fun to have you up here Russ is a ton of fun in person. Um, I'm excited to see them at home. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to a Seahawks game. Used to be a season ticket holder uh, back in the Holmgren days. Uh, I've seen Russ a couple of times on single game tickets, friends reaching out and whatever. It's a tremendous stadium atmosphere. And uh, I think they're going to be pumped up. The Titans uh, coming in a little wounded, right? They're... Might be smelling a little blood if you're Pete Carroll. The the Vrabel team looked very fallible in week one, and, and they'll be going to town on that tape. But uh, we'll be hooking up with our with our buddy Brandon Scholes, who runs field goals, um, doing an event on Saturday, some tailgating on Sunday, hopefully. Uh, we'll keep you posted about that on social media. But I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier to be starting off the NFL season. Week one in Allegiant, week two, hanging out with the Seahawks at home. Uh, one of the best home fields in in all the NFL. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, hopefully my vo- my voice will be recovered by then. But <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, I'm going to be doing two podcasts in a row with uh, a little, little horse or throat. Little horse, little horse. Little horse. Uh, man, but what a way to start the NFL season. Phenomenal week one. Had a blast in Vegas. Um, you know, Had a blast reviewing these games and, and looking forward to week two. 
Uh, I do not have another film room coming out until next week because, again, I'm only at my house for like two days before I leave again. <laughs> so I have a full film room coming out next week. Not sure what it's going to be on. Um, I'll be figuring that out pretty soon here. But uh, do you got anything else coming out in the next week, yeah, DJ? Yeah, uh, we're going to do another Bears Over Beers. Uh, Bears Over Beers has turned into a preview podcast. That's my podcast over on Witty City Gridiron with Jeff Burkus. Last year, or last year, last week, seems like last year. It's been a long week. Uh, last week, we had Jordan Rodrigue helping us preview uh, Bears Rams. This week, the Bears are playing the Bengals. So we've got another special guest. That'll be coming out on Friday. Um, you can check it out on Windy City Gridiron or new this year on YouTube as well. We're moving into the video age on Bears Over Beers as well. So, uh, yeah, that'll drop on Friday, the day I think you and Nick are going to get up here. And um, we'll uh, hang out with Brandon a little bit this weekend, go to the game, and have a great time. And who knows what we're going to do for week three. I, I feel like I might sleep a little just because yeah. I haven't done that a lot. <laughs> How about uh, rest the old vocal cords for once? How about that? <laughs> well, I, honey, lemon, tea, green tea, and whiskey. Oh, I'm I'm way. I've had two hot toddies today already just to do this show. <laughs> I you didn't um, notice because I'm a professional EJ, but I was fucking lit when we first got on this call. <laughs> oh well, we we do have a lot of experience and practice in that area. Says a guy yeah. with two alcohol football podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Hope you guys have enjoyed watching wherever you happen to be. Again, we're in over 200 countries here on Bootleg Football. Couldn't be happier. The NFL season is back, and uh, it really kicked off with a bang. Looking forward to week two, and uh, we will see you guys early next week. I believe Wednesday is going to be our new regular release day for these you know, weekly uh, show recaps. So we'll see you in uh, ideally seven days. And until then, later. Take care. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.